What do you think? I think we're dead meat. Real dead meat. Welcome to the Dead Meat Podcast, an extension of the YouTube channel Dead Meat. I'm James. I'm Chelsea, and we're boyfriend and girlfriend, and we like to get scared together. And uh, wow, speaking of last week, where we reviewed Bandersnatch, I I went down the hole this week. Dude, you researched your ass off for this. I, I even picked it because I thought, oh, this is one I should be able to put together pretty easily. Um, we're going to talk about moral panic and horror. Originally, it was just going to be horror movies where people protested and stuff. But then I just thought it would be more interesting to talk more broadly about people getting freaked out by horror movies and the effect it might have on our kids and us as a society. <laughs> and uh, yeah, wow, there's a lot. Um, you read so many books. I did. I read a bunch of books. And... <laughs> I have like studies and stuff. That's the picture I put on Instagram with all those crazy formulas and stuff. Yeah, check we're that not out. we're not gonna touch that. Like we're not going that deep. But yeah, that study had like I don't know some crazy math in it. And um, yeah, because I was gonna make a list of fun, you know, funny protests of movies like Silent Night, Deadly Night, which we'll talk about, where people were mad that Santa Claus was a murderer mm-hmm. and. But it turns out that when you try and make a podcast about horror movies that people got mad at, do you know what movies qualify for that? All of them. Literally all of them. So (laughs) there's going to be probably one that maybe you're thinking I'm going to cover that I'm not going to cover because then I would have to cover all the movies. I don't mean one specific one. I just mean if you have one in mind and I miss it, it's just, you know, there's so much. There's so much. I tried to pick kind of bigger landmark ones that maybe represented a turn in how we think about horror movies and stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I think what's interesting is we always say or we hear people say people are too sensitive nowadays and people get too offended by stuff. But like we've been getting offended by things since art has existed yeah and i i hate it so much because like go back and watch stand-up from the 90s or 80s and you'll find the same fucking thing of the people like stand-up comedians being like people are too sensitive nowadays it's like always people are always saying that yeah we're just we've always been the same yeah yep it's like I, i tried to say it in a in a kill count about how like sam raimi went to court because of evil dead so, mm-hmm. like, I don't remember any filmmakers recently going to court on obscenity charges for making a horror movie. No. So, like, what society is more offended and uptight now or the 80s? Yeah. I don't know. We should talk about that, too, because I don't have a ton about Evil Dead in here. It's in here briefly because it's mm-hmm. just kind of lumped into a list. I kind of go through a list of, you know, there's such a there's a specific era, especially like during the 80s, you know, so all those movies kind of get lumped in together. Yeah. But we can talk about that more specifically but yeah certainly as long as there have been movies and especially horror people are going to get mad 
um, it just comes with the territory. And honestly, it, we'll talk about this too. It's kind of a, a plus for filmmakers in some instances. It's good PR, good publicity. We just all have really short memories and we feel that maybe today people are hypersensitive, but that's just not really the case. So we're going to go through the history of horror and look at the variety of things people have panicked over. And we're talking protests, boycotts, legal action, bans, etc. And it's kind of... <laughs> Interestingly, but I think maybe a little frustratingly, we're going to backtrack and talk a lot of about a lot of movies that we've covered already because they've come up in either our most influential horror movies episode or the one where we talk about that list that Bravo made of the scariest movie moments, which makes sense that the the movies that would show up on those episodes or in those lists would also be the movies that cause the most controversy because yeah. the ones that kind of stick in our public consciousness the most you know yeah all right so here i have a quote from this is from what year let's see 1896 this is a quote oh, from wait. some of the earliest what's up can i read it oh yes i like reading quotes this is some of the earliest pearl clutching over offensive film content such things call for police interference. Our cities from time to time have spasms of morality when they arrest people for displaying lithographs of ballet girls. Yet they permit night after night a performance which is infinitely more degrading. While we tolerate such things, what avails all the talk of American Puritanism and of the filthiness of imported English and French stage shows? Yep. This is from... So basically this person is saying... This is a uh, uh, Saw review, right? A yes. Review Saw? <laughs> so this is saying, uh, yeah, every once in a while we all kind of seem to have our shit together, but then someone's got to come along and put out a filthy film and ruin it for everybody. And this is not the American way, you know? America was founded on Puritanism. Oh, this was a review of Deep Throat, the first big porn? <laughs> yeah. <All right. laughs> Debbie Does Dallas. No, this is uh, this is from the chat book in 1896, which was a magazine. I was looking at a scan of it. It seems really boring. <laughs> um, this is a reaction to Thomas Edison's The Kiss, which if you've seen, you know what? Go watch it right now. It's 18 seconds long. It's probably on YouTube. It literally is. It's two actors who were in a play at the time, recreating a kiss from a scene in the play, and Thomas Edison filmed it. Nice. And uh, that's it. And this freaked people out, because kissing wasn't supposed to be done in public. And this is 1896? 1896. Mm. Yeah. So when films then start to adapt horror stories, that's when the real freakout starts. And these public freakouts over horror, we see them come and go in waves, too. We've talked about this but horror tends to be most popular in times of chaos and national crisis like the great depression so we get all the universal monsters world war ii vietnam 9-11 market crash like those periods is when horror gets really really popular again so it's it's when people are kind of seeking out this catharsis and then after that period horror inevitably faces a backlash and so that's when these periods are we see censorship getting ramped up and certain films or even directors get singled out it's interesting though that la the last few examples 9-11 the market crash and uh whatever is causing people to freak out nowadays mm -hmm. uh whatever that may be uh, are all so close together. I don't know if there's been enough time for a backlash in between. Yeah. 9-11 and the market crash is only seven years. I don't know, because we think of the horror films that came out after 9-11. It's all torture porn and stuff. There was such a moral outcry oh, over yeah. those. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. 
And I think maybe subconsciously we've kind of reacted to that by having... Because right now, gory films are not what's... They're not in. ...popular. So I think maybe we've kind of taken in that critic like the horror genre has taken that criticism and you know we've moved away from gore yeah so i think it definitely i right think now. it was definitely affected by that outcry i love horror right now man. i do too horror is the best my favorite right now. ever been yeah i'm not afraid to say that yeah it's it's incredible 80s had a lot of fun shit 70s, like, 70s had a lot of like good shit but mm-hmm. right now man it's yeah it's so good we're lucky to be living through it it's Awesome. Yeah, and even if it right now isn't your favorite, you can still enjoy all the other ones mm-hmm. from the past. But yeah, so this this backlash is basically society trying to preserve order. It's all of us collectively trying to preserve order by tamping down on stuff that's really subversive. So, for example, prior to World War II, and we're going to get real here, we're talking about some real uh, heavy history that's oh, not super fun. Oh, no. The United States, prior to World War II, we were all about eugenics. Cool. Yeah, it's something you might be surprised to learn because it's something in our history that we don't really talk about because now it's really embarrassing. And, uh, you know, uh, the reason we probably stopped being so excited about it is because Hitler went and made us realize that eugenics isn't that awesome, guys. <laughs> he made it very uncool. Um, but yeah, it, it, pre-World War II, it was really popular and accepted science in the United States to the point that state fairs would have quote-unquote better baby contests did you know about these i did not Mm-hmm. they judged babies based on physical measurements and intelligence oh please tell me they got out the uh what are they called oh the for phrenology the Fox. kelpers kelp something like Calip- that i don't know yeah um Oops. <laughs> but they would even have fitter family contests same idea but it's the whole family measured on a range of of things. I imagine this isn't an obstacle course or like No, this is like stand and look at them and it's mm. you know, their IQ measurements, which IQ isn't a thing. That's also bunk science too. IQs? Yeah. What? Isn't it? Mm, I don't know. Yeah. I feel like IQ is kinda it's a little bullshit. It's kinda arbitrary measurements of what makes someone smart, you know? Don't say that. I want to get into Mensa and play board <laughs> That's games. True, I do want to get into Mensa. <laughs> I, they have a lot of good board games. Sorry, our cat got on the kitchen counter and was fucking with shit. And yeah. I didn't want her to get into something dangerous. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So think about the concept of these exhibitions of perfect breeding stock. Because that's the point is these are families and babies made as an example of these are the genetic lines that we should be encouraging to reproduce and breed so that we have a stronger society it's selective breeding so think Mm. about what that is and then kind of think about what the inverse of that is an exhibition of imperfect freak show freak show exactly quote unquote quote yeah (laughs) (laughs) it sucks i'm gonna be using the term like freaks and stuff because that's how they're described in in all these books and i think how they would call you know that's what they would call themselves or sideshow performers that's what they're called uh, it's not nice, but it's history. <laughs> yeah. So it's also the name of this movie. It is the name of the film is Freaks. We've talked about Freaks before. Released in 1932, is basically a slap in the face to eugenics. <laughs> like it's just a giant middle finger to eugenics, <laughs> particularly laws that existed concerning miscegenation, which is race mixing, race interbreeding, and forced sterilization of the quote unquote unfit. So the film, it implies its freaks are reproducing and having kids. And 
this is very upsetting and very taboo at the time. For context, 1924, the Racial Integrity Act invalidated mixed-race marriages. That made it illegal to marry outside your race? Yes. It was probably mostly white and black. 1927, Buck v. Bell Supreme Court case upheld a Virginia statute that mandated the sterilization of the unfit, which resulted in around 65,000 people being sterilized without their consent. I mean, I know that uh, like with our discussion with Joey, that's a thing that's happened Mm -hmm. with Native Native American groups before. Yes. Fuck. Yep. Films also being used at the time to condition viewers with eugenics ideology, and this was also being done during the Third Reich in Germany. Well, look at all the great men in the world that may be classified as having been insane or in some other way unfit. Listen, Brooks. In most cases, these operations are justified. The benefits are so great that we can take a chance for an occasional mistake. Contrast these pro-sterilization and eugenics films with Freaks, where the bearded lady has a baby girl, and that's a reason to celebrate. They have a party, and it's a reason to be happy. And again, this is like, this goes against everything that's popular scientific thinking at the time and accepted thinking. Like, this is disgusting to people. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I can overstate how offensive this was to have on film, especially portraying it as a reason to be happy. What is it? A girl. Oh, boy, that's great, and it's going to have a beard. (laughs) Quick summary of Freaks. A beautiful trapeze artist conspires with a handsome strong man to marry Hans, who is a performer with dwarfism who has a large inheritance. Mm. And so Cleopatra and Hercules, who are the trapeze artist and the strong man, they make plans to murder Hans, but not before the Freaks get their revenge. And... So you're you're being asked in this movie to empathize with the freaks and not the conventionally attractive Cleopatra and Hercules. Todd Browning, who made this movie, specifically makes their vengeance feel really justified. You watch it and you're rooting for them, even if the scene itself where they get their revenge is horrifying. It's very scary. That was on our Scariest Movie Moments episode. I, I think we're lucky to even have a version where this is the case, where they get revenge at all, because this movie got hacked to pieces after terrible test screenings. Mm. I think the original movie was 90 minutes and they cut it up so much that its runtime now is 60. So half an hour of this thing is gone. One woman who attended an early test screening and who is one of the only people ever in history to see this film intact threatened legal action, claiming the film gave her a miscarriage. Wow. Because the imagery of it was so disturbing. Yeah, I I, I don't know if that's possible but damn I, yeah. what a claim <laughs> i don't know how that ended up actually i wonder if she got paid or not <laughs> so yeah mgm cuts this thing down to about 60 minutes and the final scene is is the biggest casualty we still see the freaks have turned on cleopatra and we still see them get their revenge but a lot of that was more graphic originally so they took wow. out a lot of what happens we see Damn, her no version of that longer one exists like, no no fuck we see her turned into a chicken woman she's tarred and feathered and and basically morphed into like a half lady half duck it's really creepy and so if that's still there if you watch it now but originally you hercules lives in the version now it's kind of implied they just kill him But in the older version, he also lives, but he's been castrated, and he's performing in the sideshow as a, um, uh, what do they call it? 
when you when you sing really high, oh, you're yeah. castrated. Is it a castrato or a castrati? I think that's yeah, but right. he's singing mm-hmm. in the in the sideshow. Okay. Yeah, and the the chase scene and attack were also much longer. The edited 60-minute version is the only version that exists. No one alive has ever seen Freaks in its entirety. Oh, man. That's just lost. It's gone forever. That sucks. Yep. Even with all these studio edits, Freaks just tanks at the box <laughs> office. There's walkouts from theaters all over the country, but some cities weirdly seem to really embrace it. And that's kind of the beginnings of this film's cult popularity. This film ultimately goes on to destroy Todd Browning's career. Hmm. He never made another motion picture, and really? Freaks was banned in England for 30 years. England's always banned Oh, shit. we're going to talk about England a lot in this uh, episode. Yeah. <laughs> Reviewers were similarly repulsed by it, and civic groups used it to illustrate the decline of moral standards in Hollywood. And this is 1932. So, so just to kind of reiterate... People have always felt like one horror movie is the end of the world. This is 1932, and people are already like, "No, this is it. We've reached, we've reached the bottom. Yeah, this is the decline depravity. of moral standards." But this this panic over moral standards is why the Hayes Code, which did exist for a while, but they didn't enforce it because no one gave a shit. Mm-hmm. This is like freaks is a big reason why the code starts getting enforced, and that's a reason why. Then, consequently, Todd Browning has a really hard time and doesn't do any more major motion pictures because he's associated with this forever. So before Freaks, we're going to skip back a year to 1931. Yeah, in case Todd Browning sounds familiar to you. Yes, exactly. Todd Browning made another movie that disgusted the general public. Dracula shocked and repulsed audiences and prompted a ton of angry letters to the Motion Picture Producers and Distributors Association, now the MPAA. Which is like what we have now. For ratings and yes. shit. Yep. So here's some quotes. These are letters that people wrote. I cannot see one redeeming feature in this picture. It is the most horrible thing. The author must have had a distorted mind, and I cannot understand why it was produced. I cannot speak too strongly against this picture for children. Unwholesome and ghastly, morbid, inhuman, and pointless. In this day of high-pressure living, strained nerves, and constant excitement, it seems too bad that such pictures with a strong influence on the emotions should be allowed a showing anywhere. This picture should be protested by every previewing organization. It's insane, horrible detail shown to millions of impressionable children, to adults already bowed down by human misery, will do an infinite amount of harm. This next one is from Marjorie Ross Davis, who is a PTA chairman. Ooh. I didn't know the PTA had been around for that long. PTA, they've always been a thorn They show in the up ass, a few so, yep. times in here, too. Uh, quote, it should be withdrawn from public showing as children, the weak-minded, and all classes attend motion pictures indiscriminately. Censors in Singapore, British Malaya, and British Columbia rejected the film and required numerous cuts, including the vampire women entirely, so his wives. Okay. Um, the crying child in the cemetery, Renfield talking about eating flies, spiders, and rats' blood. Who wants to eat flies? You do, ya loony. Not when I can get nice fat spiders. And the reading of a newspaper account of the child's off-screen attack. 
Sensors in Massachusetts had specific issues with the shots of a skeleton in a casket, as well as one of a bee coming out of a miniature bee casket, (laughs) and requested that they be removed specifically for Sunday showings. I don't know why, but the little bee in the casket is so cute and wholesome. (laughs) Do Do we have all this stuff? reinstated now do we have versions yes yeah, these is, are okay. these are individual states oh okay the problem okay. is when oh yeah we, uh, we talked about this with frankenstein too or i i did anyway when i covered it in that yeah like certain states were like no you can't have this part in it yeah it's so weird yep so uh, massachusetts i don't know what's going on there the but massachusetts? a few times massachusetts has the weirdest requests we're gonna bring them up the next movie they have another bizarre request and maybe the silliest censorship request i've ever heard ever oh it's my favorite it sounds like a joke uh, and yes by the way the part with the bee in the casket is the part with the armadillos that everyone called us out on in our monster squad episode sorry we I, still haven't watched dracula i mean i think I saw, I saw it as a kid yeah but that doesn't count yeah we've been watching the old universal ones we haven't watched dracula yeah watching them as an adult is a much different experience yeah Sorry. The same year in 1931, the first preview of James Whale's Frankenstein so horrified audiences, not in a good way, (laughs) that Universal went into panic mode. According to James Curtis, who was James Whale's biographer, uh, quote, people got up, walked out, came back in, walked out again. It was an alarming thing. It's important to remember that audiences at this time didn't have exposure to this kind of imagery because think about it. the opening of frankenstein is a graveyard where we're, there's like a um we see a grave digger shoveling dirt into the grave and it's super loud you hear there's like thwomp sound yeah. and i guess he put a microphone down in there to get that noise specifically and that made people gasp apparently in the screening because it's i guess think you know thinking about it if you where else would people? It's really morbid imagery, you know. It's like it's like the first toilet flush heard in a sitcom, I guess. Yeah. I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, and then I'm you glad also have you've got Fritz, who's his little henchman, taking a, a hanged man down from the gallows, and it just fall. It just like like plops onto the ground. It's all very improper and weird. And I bet I bet just back then seeing a supposed dead body being treated so unceremoniously would have been really shocking and mm. odd and probably felt really wrong because they again they don't they, they don't have a frame of reference for yeah. that kind of stuff good thing they never saw freddy versus jason where freddy fucks a dead chick yeah <laughs> so i gave like a thumbs up but if you're just listening to this you can't hear <laughs> so to help the film get past censors universal adds the prologue to all the f- prince of the film oh yes okay. exactly where it's it's the actor that plays dr waldman and he warns you about the film's content that's where he's like uh well we warned you yeah. <laughs> and then the movie Which starts would later get parodied in treehouse of horror exactly so still the movie is banned in belfast belfast it's one of those ones where if you don't say it with the accent people make fun of you i feel mm-hmm. like South oh, don't Aust- worry. They'll always make fun of you for pronouncing something. That's Trust true. me. It's the internet. South Australia, Czechoslovakia, and Sweden. Individual states, again, censored different parts of the film. Massachusetts, <laughs> back <laughs> at it again, requested, quote, this is an actual, this is straight up the actual request, eliminate scene showing body on slab coming back to life. Yep. The worst instances of censorship, censorship, however, happened as a reaction to one specific scene. All right, Lucia, moving you because you're 
She's blocking my... Come over here, Lucy. So, during this time, so this is 1930s, there is a moral panic sweeping the nation over sex offenders. And the reason for this is there's like a spate of child murders. And there's also, because of the Depression, there's just a ton of homeless men specifically. There's like such an uptick in homeless men. And so people get this weird idea that there's just vagrants who are wandering around and like d- committing sex crimes against kids it was it was a whole thing i i almost think of it like um satanic panic that kind of stuff where people just get all riled up with this imagery and mm-hmm. so after this there's there's hundreds of arrests of quote unquote sex deviants and an uprise in mob justice um, unfortunately the Victims, primarily, they're they're innocent people being arrested, and overwhelmingly, it's homosexual men um, being arrested on charges of sodomy. Mm. And so that's, we we have the idea of homosexual equals perverted, or that they, if you're homosexual, especially a homosexual man, you're a child predator, yeah, and that pedophilia. we still struggle with that idea. You know, the idea that homosexuals should not be allowed around kids or have kids because there's something perverse. Boy Scouts, yeah, there's something very... Exactly, exactly. We still are dealing with this. And James Whale, who he was openly homosexual, um, he kind of challenges this idea of the sexual psychopath by making his similarly viewed monster uh, misjudged and unfairly punished. That's a big part of the film. And the infamous scene where he accidentally drowns a child is a really, really important part of that development and is kind of the, I think, the key to why that movie works. Yeah, Boris Karloff didn't even want to do that scene. He didn't? He he was like, I really don't want the monster to kill this. Uh, But then James Whale explained to him how important it was for the character's development. That scene is still so effective and so man i i really love frankenstein yeah Frankenstein's i really great. really love it it's perfect um so after so after they have this screening that i talked about earlier where we got people walking out everyone's freaking out um universal wants to completely cut this scene and so this is this is a quote from a producer and actually james whale's longtime partner oh. david lewis they quote they wanted to end the scene before the drowning without it the audience was left to imagine what he'd done to her before he drowned her the implication with this cut would be that he had raped her oh yes and That's so th- worse maybe but think about it in 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 the context of what's going on at this time the idea of a gray area monster like this and promoting the idea that hey maybe this witch hunt against people we consider quote-unquote sexual psychopaths is misguided and we're punishing the wrong people that at this time for a big studio is not an idea they want to be pushing Mm -hmm. in their films they want this kind of black and white idea of this monster is bad and he aligns with this concept of a bad guy that we that is so prevalent right now yeah by making him into the kind of monster that society thinks is very very real and a very present threat at this time they're kind of they want to mold him into the image of what society is afraid of right now and so whale fought to keep it and luckily one however censors in massachusetts (laughs) new york and pennsylvania removed it anyway but this this makes me so sad. I hate this. When the film was re-released in 1938, the scene was removed completely because of stricter implement, implementation of the Hayes Code, which we just talked about. Again, that happens because of freaks and movies like it. And, and the Hayes Code, we've 
if you don't know, just really quick, was a code that was, it wasn't legal. It, it was the... Self-censorship. It was, a self-censorship, it was self-censorship making sure... Yeah, yeah, because they, they don't want the government to have to step in and start censoring stuff. They're like, we'd rather do it ourselves. But around this time, this code gets really strict. And so that's why this whole scene is cut from, from all prints of the film. And it remained removed and lost until 1985. Yeah, man. For 50 years, Frankenstein was a totally different movie. You take out that scene and Frank, the monster is a completely different character. It changes the message of the film. It changes everything that's, it changes all the emotions of yeah. the film. It's totally different. Come on, Lucy. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, geez. So in 1985, there was a. It was partially restored after a cut from the original release was found. I don't think they ever found the whole scene, but they found enough of it to where you you get what's what's going on. But for 50 years, the monster was a deprived pedophile, and instead of this innocent, bewildered creature who just thinks his new friend is going to float like flowers, yeah. and I think that that's. That made me so sad. I didn't know that that I knew that that scene was problematic and I knew that that scene was the target of a ton of censorship. But I didn't know that it was just gone like that for 50 years. That's so crazy. Yeah. And you can kind of tell the quality of the footage is different different. than the rest of the movie. Mm -hmm. James Whale becomes regarded as problematic for studios um, because of this. And also he's again, publicly he's homosexual. And his career, like Todd Browning's after Freaks, suffers as production codes are more strictly enforced and films become more conservative as we start heading towards the 1940s. All right, so fast forward to the 1950s when America's greatest fear, besides being blown up by nukes, is teenagers. (laughs) We're fucking terrified of teenagers in the 50s. Well, yeah, of course. They're riding around on motorcycles wearing leather jackets. They're rolling, yeah, yeah, slicking their their hair back. Yeah, oh man, all of us on TV. Mm-hmm. He's the scariest monster of the 50s, <laughs> shaking those hips. Around the, I think, uh, let me see, 19, I think 1951, early 50s, Dr. Frederick Wortham. I don't know if it's Wortham or Wortham. I'll say Wortham. He writes Seduction of the Innocent, which is a book uh, in where he blames comic books for being a prime cause of juvenile delinquency. So like nice. the old horror comics, Tales from the Crypt, stuff like that. EC Comics. Yeah. He's like, this is why kids are crazy right now. It's like the dad in Creep Show. Tom Atkins. Yeah. The beginning of Creep. Yes, that's right. <laughs> the the dad in the beginning of Creep Show is a reference to this this panic around, over <laughs> comics too it's specifically. So funny, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in his 1954 testimony to the Senate subcommittee hearings into juvenile delinquency. Dr. Wortham voiced his concerns about the types of destructive behaviors he'd observed in children, such as drug addiction, vandalism, violence, and sex offenses. Um, Side note, though, so I I went and read about him because I was curious, and I I would feel, I think it's wrong to talk about him without mentioning that he he gets a really bad rap for all this moralizing over horror comics, for good reason. Yeah. Um, But he was a psychiatrist who... He treated poor black patients at his clinic when no one else really would because of, of racist laws and these, these services weren't accessible to minorities at this point because he and um, eventually science would believe that 
right the races aren't different and he can treat a black patient the same way he treats a white patient and so he actually wrote a book about the brain and the science behind the brain which overturned it helped overturn a ton of segregation laws like brown versus versus board of education wow so he just proved a ton of really shitty racial science that's cool and i i have to mention that before people cast him as this complete villain he's yeah. he has a complicated legacy and i think he's an interesting dude it's like roger ebert exactly <laughs> people are complicated and i think i think with him it, it, it's something where we'll talk about this too people who are getting freaked out by this stuff and and kind of making the outcry and making a big deal often are people who are genuinely concerned and want to fix things and now it's kind of easy to look back at how misguided they it, are that reminds me of uh like prohibition yes prohibition, prohibition is, is a very an abject failure yes. but like at the time the people trying to uh instate it have like we're just trying to fix a severe problem of alcoholism and yep. like domestic violence. It's very and... easy to look back and make fun of the women's movement specifically that were pro, they were for prohibition because these are women who are wives of violent, abusive drunks. And we, they didn't have the precedent that we have now that prohibition doesn't, doesn't work. work at all. They don't yeah. have that. And yeah. it, it, so it's, it's easy now to look back and think, oh my God, well, they're making idiots. a big deal over not kind of like it is here. Mm -hmm. So that's yeah. something to keep in mind too. Movies that people like Dr. Wortham are really freaked out by around this time are ones like Invaders from Mars in 1953, <laughs> which uh, that one is a flying saucer lands in a pit near a boy's house and tunnels underground through the town and the aliens in the saucer put controls in the necks of his parents and cops and they go out to find more slaves for the aliens nice yeah i will say i huge blind spot all those 50 sci-fi sci same I've never that's a big blind spot for me um it's it's definitely i want to watch a lot more of those because they're they interest me in terms of what is going on at that time because this is like we're all freaked out about communism mm -hmm. and stuff and the bomb and so there's a lot of weird subtext to those that's why you get like giant creatures and stuff because it's yeah, just like science woman. gone wrong yeah <laughs> we're all like afraid of of new developments in science and stuff um again here we go the the pta <laughs> pta representative quote and this is about invaders from mars here in science fiction form is an orgy of hate and fear and futility with no hope of escape no constructive element whatsoever the child with whom one is asked to identify is bereft of any security from father and mother from constituted authority and the adults burst into meaningless violence for a time we hope there will be an answer in this projection of the formless fears abroad in our world of technological technological annihilation and savage ideologies but the terror and dread pile only higher do you want to read the next one yeah not exactly a family picture yeah that one's a bit more succinct <laughs> <laughs> so uh one of our favorite favorite dudes who we did a whole episode about making shocking <laughs> content around this time john he, waters nope. not john waters not john waters john waters is uh his his forebearer his uh yeah yeah for yeah. sure his idol his god i think he calls him god really uh-huh oh john waters specifically cites william castle like oh, a, oh uh -huh. of course yeah, of course yeah. oh of course. yes <laughs> yes william castle starts getting death threats over a movie he produced in 1968 so our master of gimmicks 
produced a film that people are always surprised to learn he produced. I was too. And it's one you may forget he produced because it's so fucking crazy. We just watched this. Yes, I don't remember did. his name anywhere. It was in there. I noted it and thought it was weird. <laughs> <laughs> William Castle produced Rosemary's Baby. Damn. And yeah, right? So Rosemary's Baby gets labeled as condemned by the National Catholic Office for Motion Pictures, formerly known as the Legion of Decency. Legion of Decency. Yeah, like, oh, excuse me. That sounds like the boringest superhero group of all time. Oh my gosh, right? <laughs> the Legion of Decency. The Legion of Decency. <laughs> <laughs> so... According to... Making sure that your skirt hems are below your fingertips. Yeah. <laughs> Leave room for the Lord when you're slow dancing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Leave enough room for decency, man, while you're dancing. So, according to them now, attending a screening of Rosemary's Baby was now a venial sin. And a venial sin is a minor sin that doesn't send you to hell, and it doesn't make God stop loving you, but it does hurt his feelings. Aww. He, it makes him mad. How many venial sins can you get rack up before he, he does start to get mad at That's you? That's a good question. Like I don't know to... if they stack up. Yeah? This is when the system of confession gets... You think about it and it's like, okay, but what if I have a bunch of these little ones stacked up? Does that yeah. equate to a big one? Is that cumulative? Yeah. I don't know. Questions. That, that sounds like he's letting you off with a warning, you know? Mm -hmm. Like you get pulled over, but they just let you off with a warning. Mm -hmm. hmm. But then you feel real bad about it. I guess. I guess that works. And it can only be pardoned by a priest and confessional. So if you went and saw Rosemary's Baby, you had to go to church and tell your priest about it. Oh, man. Or else God's going to be mad at you. Better yep. do it. Yeah. God, the guilt. Man, the guilt going into confession as a little Catholic boy. Oh, fuck, mm -hmm. man. You're like, do worst. I tell him everything? Yeah. Like, do I tell him everything? everything? By the way, I think the... the Catholic office for motion pictures and stuff like that is a re that's my theory as to why Massachusetts is the problem state because Boston oh, super Catholic Boston's pretty Catholic. I have I have a feeling that's wise because there's so many Catholics there yeah because even uh as Spotlight showed us like Boston uh was had like a weird relationship when the Catholic oh um, mm -hmm. sex crimes thing broke because mm -hmm. it was like can you can you do this in it's Boston? So, Cause yeah, because it's, so it's such Catholic. a Catholic city. Yeah. yeah. Both of us grew up Catholic. I don't know. I felt like I should note it. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> there, so there. this is their statement. Uh, much more serious, however, is the perverted use of fundamental Christian beliefs, especially surrounding the birth of Christ and its mockery of religious persons and practices. The very technical excellence of the film, which I think is they're like it's it's really good okay? no one can deny it yeah. you know come at it from whatever angle you want I, yes and I, I will Roman Polanski. Roman Polanski can uh go fuck off forever yeah but, but it's a really good movie amazing uh so okay the very technical <laughs> excellence of the film serves to intensify its defamatory nature um do you want to read this is a another piece of hate mail that William Castle got Rosemary's baby is filth, and you will die as a result. Lover of Satan, purveyor of evil, you have sold your soul. Die, die, die. And apparently, no idea if this is true. It seems maybe like a William Castle-style elaboration, kind of a tall tale, but he had some health problems after getting this letter, and so he always kind of wondered after that about curses and if they were real. They're not, Willie. Sorry. <laughs> 
1971, The Exorcist, a film also tackling the fear of parenthood and demon kids, managed to avoid similar Catholic condemnation, which you may be surprised by. Catholicism saves the day in The Exorcist. Yeah, I just watched The Exorcist for a Patreon review, and I did a little bit of light research into it. And yeah, The Exorcist has a couple of actual uh, Jesuit Catholic priests Mm -hmm in the movie like acting they they served as technical advisors and played small parts as priests mm-hmm. and so yeah the catholics were all over this movie i actually went i was looking on some catholic message boards while i was researching guys this took me so long to write seriously <laughs> I, I was on these like message boards and someone actually posted a quote from the catholic bishops conference in 1973 this is a quote Directed by William Friedkin, the movie is on shaky ground theologically, and its special effects are horrific, but the result is an exciting horror fantasy for those with strong stomachs. Its graphic violence, obscene references, and foul language make it strictly adult fare. But they really liked it. (laughs) Well, the author of the book, didn't he write it to try to, like, convince people to believe in God? I'm not sure. Uh, I I believe that I read that in my light light Uh, research, so that might be wrong. Yeah, William Peter Blatty. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think he he was a devout Catholic who wrote it as like a story of yeah, Catholicism hmm. saves the day. So he, I think he was fine with the movie being so scary because it would scare people in. Right, Dude, you have a great ideology. <laughs> you yeah. have to scare people into it. Hey, man, that's the Catholic style, <laughs> baby. We just we just scare you into believing. Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> I I think it's fascinating. I want to do a study about this. How many former Catholics or people who are raised Catholic go on to be really into horror movies and become horror directors because Catholicism is so fucking violent. <laughs> you go to church and it's just like bloody Jesus up on the wall and all the scenes of the crucifixion and oh boy. Yeah. Um so the the exorcist still proves controversial for other reasons. Critic Pauline Kale, who is great, is one of the most well-regarded film critics of all oh, time. Absolutely. Maybe the most. She's a critic where along with Roger Ebert, you have mm. filmmakers saying they were inspired to make movies because of her. Yeah. Because she so loved movies and understood them on such a level that filmmakers are yeah ebert has probably reached her level yes but like i don't think anyone else no she's she's a legend yeah she she questioned the ethics of making this movie well noting that the director auditioned around 500 young girls before linda blair was chosen and and she adds those 499 mothers of the rejected little girls must have read the novel. They must have known that what they were having their da- daughters tested for. When they see the exorcist and watch Linda Blair urinating on the fancy carpet and screaming and jabbing at herself with the crucifix, are they envious? Do they feel, that might have been my little Susie, famous forever? Well, you know what? Those other 499 parents should feel lucky because, uh, yeah, William Friedkin, the director... He was uh, one of those directors who didn't put a high premium on the safety and comfort of his actors. Yes. Linda Blair uh, had back problems because of the harness that, like, put her uh, up and down in bed. And a bunch of the cast, like, they were put in freezing temperatures. And, yeah, it did not sound like a good set to be on. Yeah. Although... I did also read a quote from Linda Blair saying it was fun doing like the pea soup stuff and just all the special effects. And she's, you know, she's a kid just getting all gross and yeah, having fun. 
There were still protests by other Christian groups during the movie's release, and the UK home release of the film in the 1980s was actually withdrawn, and you couldn't get the movie until 1999. 99? Yeah. Damn, dude. 99, I think, is when they reappraise a lot of movies and put them back into circulation. In England? Mm -hmm. In the UK? Hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. In 1979, Ronald Reagan was elected President of the United States. The same year in the UK, Margaret Thatcher was elected Prime Minister. Here we go, 80s. Yeah, here we go. So together, they ushered in an age of right-wing conservatism and a return to family values. Yep. Called the 80s. (laughs) (laughs) Around this time in the the late 1970s, we enter into one of the most maligned and controversial eras of horror, the slasher. Thanks, John Carpenter. And... (laughs) (laughs) Bob Clark. And Bob Clark. And uh, Uh, Toby Toby Hooper. Hooper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In 1976, protesters gathered around theaters that were planning to screen a supposed snuff film called Snuff. Have you heard of this? I've never heard of Snuff. Some theaters received bomb threats. The film wasn't a snuff film at all. It was an Argentinian production originally called Slaughter, which was then rebranded and released as Snuff by producer Alan Shackleton, who got the rights to this. He took the original film and without the consent of the original filmmakers, tacked on an ending where a woman is murdered by a film crew, implying the film crew to be the crew of Slaughter. So it's it's this like kind of found footage thing of the film crew murdering this lady that's just tacked onto the end of this movie. Snuff is proven over and over again to be fiction, and they eventually have to add a disclaimer saying so. Are you thinking about Cannibal Holocaust? I am. Yeah, we're going to talk about that too. Okay. But yeah, same. What year was that? Cannibal Holocaust. Was that later in the 80s? Yeah. Oh, you know what? I think I took a lot of my notes about Cannibal Holocaust out because those stories are so similar. Okay. But Cannibal Holocaust gets affected by the same laws, especially in the UK where it's like... it's not. It's against the law to distribute copies of them and stuff. And yeah, because yeah. I think that movie might have been late seventy. It was. Oh, it was. It was. Okay. So it's the same. So Cannibal Holocaust was the same deal where these filmmakers went and made a movie that looked so real that they had to prove they that had their to actors prove they dead. had to bring their actors to court and prove their actors weren't dead and they had to show how they did the scene where the woman is impaled and they're like look we did this using a bicycle seat and they they showed how they did the effect and finally it was like all right we you're good we know it's but it's the same thing i, yeah. I think i just took out cannibal holocaust because these stories were so similar mm-hmm. okay so yeah it's proved to be fiction over and over again but the the controversy just refuses to die down people are all up in arms over this and for some reason, people convince themselves and they become determined to prove that there's an, there's actual snuff films floating around out there because it becomes an urban legend. Well, here's the thing. Here's my question. Before this movie was called Snuff, was snuff film a term? I believe, yeah. So it was, so this producer named it Snuff after the snuff yes, term. Yes, I okay. believe so. Because I was wondering if maybe that's he randomly named from. it Snuff and that's what the term comes no, from. I no, think, okay. I think that's why he called it. Got it. That. Yeah. So people are determined to prove that there is like an actual like produced, like someone film produced, you know, with like decent production values, like a snuff film and is circulating it around really wealthy creeps who are paying a ton of money to watch it. So it's just an urban legend. It Mm -hmm. really it just becomes an urban legend that this is a thing and people get so wound up 
and th- there's protests with arrests and stuff. I maybe would almost compare this to Pizzagate type stuff. Oh. Where people are like, no, this is real. There's not films floating around out there. We need to find them. But it, there's not. Yeah. And so the LAPD has to get involved and they launch an investigation and no evidence uh, there's no evidence proving the existence of any snuff film like that float like there's nothing i don't know we watched on friend of dark web oh shit that- actually i wouldn't be surprised if i'm dark web there's like oh no that's the thing is like videos the- exist but like not like productions that have i think that's i think in. that's the difference is mm-hmm. like you might think like well of course like of course there's film like yeah but like but i think like they're not movies i think this is like implying it's like movies made for people who are paying for them you know like commissioned yeah. like i think that's the difference here got it but like, like of course gross shit like that exists but yeah. this investigation revealed no this is all people just getting themselves riled up yeah Siskel and Ebert continue to contribute to the slasher controversy. We talked about this on an older episode, if you want to hear more about this, when they dedicated an episode of their show, Sneak Previews, to discussing a, quote, disturbing new trend in today's movies, unquote. Siskel shamed Paramount for releasing the indefensible Friday the 13th and urged viewers to boycott Paramount Films. Gene Siskel also, this is kind of, this almost is like an apocryphal thing. Yeah. I went and looked at the article that this was published in. He mentions her hometown, Betsy Palmer. He does not list her address. Oh, because that's the, that's the. That's the story is that. If he Gene, doxes her. Yes, that's the story is Gene Siskel printed her specific address. He doesn't. He, he puts the mailing address, I think, of a Paramount producer. So you can, it's like mail complaints to this producer and then says, by the way, like Pet, uh, Betsy Palmer lives and in, in lists the town. Well, why the fuck did you do that even? Siskel? I mean, that's stupid, but it's yeah. also, he didn't put her home address Got in the it. newspaper. It was an address of a place. Of a producer. producer. Not their home address. I don't think so. I'd have to look again. Okay. I should have printed out that article. In any case. Yeah, it still sucks. Yeah. We talk more about that in our Roger Ebert episode Yep, and we have clips from that episode. And I, well. I see that we're going to get to it later, but Silent Night, Deadly Night, he did the same kind of shit where Gene Siskel, he like read out the names of the crew oh, involved man. and like publicly shamed them. Interestingly, I have an article. Where'd it go? I printed out a whole bunch of stuff. Um, oh, yeah, I printed out an article written by Roger Ebert in 1993 called A Few Words on Violence where he makes a you list. 93? 93. Okay. He wrote this kind of list of, it's, he says a few simple truths about violence in the movies and on TV. And I highlighted two of them because I thought they were relevant to what we're talking about. One, you can't talk about violence being quote unquote justified if the movie or TV program is a quote unquote good one. Because which of us is to say what's good and bad? I admire the use of violence in one false move, but you may admire the violence in Friday the 13th. Two, You can't talk about gratuitous violence because everything in a movie or on a television show is gratuitous. That is, nothing is necessary. It's all escapism and entertainment. That's why it's made. That's why people watch it and everybody knows it. The violence in Macbeth is just as gratuitous as the violence in The Evil Dead. So I think he softened a little bit. Yeah. Especially over the years. But he, he, like, I think Ebert was a bit more nuanced well, like we and... discussed in our ebert episode there were a lot of movies that he liked mm-hmm. the yeah. thing was not one of them and fuck him <laughs> for that but <laughs> so um friday the 13th release in england this is where we're talking about england because holy <laughs> fuck i didn't realize how 
crazy England gets over horror movies. Um, Evil Dead, man. Yeah. Sam Raimi went to court. Friday the 13th's release in England coincided extremely unfortunately with the end of a period of killings done by the Yorkshire Ripper. The Ripper was active between 1975 and 1980 and murdered over a dozen women. In 1981, truck driver Peter William Sutcliffe confessed to the murders and was arrested. Basically, this is not a great atmosphere for the release of a uh, slasher film, especially one where there's lots of young women being murdered. Mm -hmm. At the same time, the home video market is exploding. There's an increased availability of VCRs, so there's an increased demand for movies. Low-budget horror thrives, and there's no regulation at all dictating their content at first. Basically, anything could be put on home video. So you get horror movies, exploitation films, they're all huge at this time, direct-to-video stuff anyway. The English press gets wind of this and makes a big deal about it, and the Department of Public Prosecutions makes a list of films that they feel qualify for prosecution under the Obscene Publications Act. This becomes known as the, quote-unquote, Video Nasties controversy. <laughs> Sounds fucking disgusting. The Video Nasties. Oh, Video yeah. Nasties, love. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I know. Whenever I heard this when I was younger, I was like, so porn? <laughs> that's what i thought no man it's even stuff that sounds like it could be porn <laughs> i'll explain later it's particularly disturbing because the people leading the censorship of these films don't really bother watching the movies they're censoring so films on this list which you can look up online include blood feast last house on the left i spit on your grave the burning cannibal holocaust snuff tenebre or tenebre Stereo Argento, The Evil Dead, The Fun House, many, many others. Um, by the way, The Exorcist, which we mentioned being pulled from circulation, it wasn't a video nasty, but apparently some individual censor had an issue with it and made such a big deal that it just got yanked. Okay. Yeah, it's cool. Fuck it. Yeah. Um, you can learn more about video nasties online. They're like organized into all these subcategories, and those subcategories determine the amount of legal action that's taken if you are possessing them or selling them. Just and possessing one, like for home use. I'm not sure. I think it's I mostly. Mean, I think it's distributors that probably, are getting the. Yeah. I think if you, because what you're not. Yeah. What are you gonna? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's like drugs <laughs> where they can do like a tape. Pull you over and like, someone's. I smelled some Evil Dead in the yeah, backseat. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you got some Ramy in there, boy. So this list grows to include films such as The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, which is just a Dolly Parton musical, <laughs> and The Big Red One, which is a war movie, but it sounds like a fucking porn. because they're not like Clifford's dick. Yeah. <laughs> they're, because they're not even watching me, so movies that sound oh suggestive get pulled. <laughs> Cool. Finally, in 1984, the Video Recordings Act required that all movies had to be certified by the British Board of Film Classification in order to, in order to be released on home video. The VRA basically let the government decide what films the public could watch. So fast forward to the present, kind of, this is a couple of years ago, the BBFC, still uh, doing their thing, re uh, refuses to certify Human Centipede 3. So refusing to certify it, to clarify, means they can't sell copies of it in Britain. Wow. Yeah. Stating that it's a violation of the Obscene Publications Act and may cause real harm to the public. Uh, eventually, they gave it a certification of 18, but for a while, it was like... Have you seen three? No. Me neither. I've, I haven't even seen two. I have not seen two. I know all about two. Two? Isn't there a baby that gets... Oh, yeah. Okay. I, I went. I was like, fuck, I don't remember what happens in Human Centipede 2. So I went right in the Wikipedia and was like, yep, 
gross. Cool. Oh, man. I'm also reading about that movie. Apparently, a teacher showed that film to a class and then got suspended. <laughs> the teacher got suspended? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> I didn't even know teachers could get suspended, but that, you know, if you're going to do it, Mm -hmm. probably for screening human centipede. Yeah. So now I'm just going to go through some like other, this is just like miscellaneous horror movie outrages from throughout the years. Because again, there's so fucking many. I couldn't figure out a good way to fit them in. So we're going to go back to 1960 real quick. Psycho's illusion of violence during the shower scene is so effective, while Disney forbids Alfred Hitchcock from ever using his theme park for one of his projects. What do you mean using his theme park I for know, a project? That's what I was, I was like, what, like, did that come up? Yeah, or I'm was sure, he presumptively be, being like, oh, of course Alfred wants to film at my fucking cool theme park. Yeah, I'm sure the first draft of Marnie had fucking <laughs> Tippy Hedren riding around on It's a Small World. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, same year, Michael Powell's career is tanked by the reception to Peeping Tom, which oh, is man. great. If you haven't seen Peeping Tom, that is another. That's one like, I still need to see. Oh, man. Peeping Tom's great. Yeah. yeah, yeah I, I watched it in college. I would love to rewatch. 1975, David Cronenberg shivers where residents of an apartment building are transformed into sex zombies by slug STDs. That's the best way I could think of. I need to catch to up on my Cronenberg, it. man. Dude, shivers is so fun. It's so, ooh, it's so 70s and it you feel dirty watching oh, it because everything is just that gross 70s like where everything feels like it has a coat of just I always place him in the 80s is this one of his first ones yes okay yeah yeah this is this uh, no I don't know if it was his first mm, it actually might have been like his first big movie oh okay I'm willing to say yes it was his, if, like, so, I, yeah I definitely I'm picture sure, him as like an 80s guy yeah yeah I think this is his first big thing Shivers was made with government money from the the CFDC, so Canada. Um, And the government wonders if taxpayers (laughs) should fund horror films at all, especially ones with both sex and violence like Shivers. This type of content was deemed un-Canadian. <laughs> uh, you know what? I don't think I've ever seen the term un-Canadian before. Like un-American, un-American for is sure. Just, yeah, yeah, but un-Canadian. Wow, uh-huh. I've never seen that in writing or heard it. Yeah. Shivers, un-Canadian. un-Canadian. Yeah. And so this, so Shivers and the precedent set by Shivers kind of serves as a threat to future filmmakers that this is unacceptable if they want guaranteed funding for their projects in Canada. Damn. Yep. 1981. Oh, and just a fun fact. Yeah, David Cronenberg, Canadian, and that's why he's uh, in Jason X in the beginning, and he gets murdered by Jason. Oh, my God. That, that movie is just chock full of Canadians. It is yeah. such a Canadian movie. <laughs> it's so funny. 1981, William Lustig's Maniac, about a killer who murders and scalps young women. Just came out with a new Blu-ray release, by the way. Oh, I, was gonna, I thought you were going to say the remake, the Elijah Wood one. That also that came also, out within like the past few years. Ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's released to unanimously terrible reviews. The LA Times banned the film from its newspaper. Not just reviews, not just ads, banned the film entirely. You can't screen your film in our paper. Yeah. Uh. So, but so what happens is if you go to theater listings in the LA Times now, where there's times for Maniac or where they would appear, there's just a note telling readers to go call their local theater for more information. Wow. Naturally, this prompts ads to pop up all over town. Maniac, the film the los angeles times refuses to advertise it's the streisand effect man yeah you try to you try to no, like censor something like if you're a horror filmmaker and this shit happens that's the best thing that could possibly happen mm-hmm. is this this kind of
kind of controversy. Same thing with the next case. Yep, 1984, Silent Night, Deadly Night, about a homicidal orphan dressing as Santa Claus. Watch the kill count for it. Especially watch the kill count for parts three, four, and five. <laughs> uh, they're very low, and I want all my kill counts to be over a million, and those are going to take forever. Mickey Rooney's in part five. He is in part five. It's kind of sad. Yeah. It's actually really sad. Clint Howard is in part four and five. That's the ice cream man. You love him. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night is picketed at the Interborough Quad Theater in the Bronx by over 100 people singing Christmas carols. One Bronx parent says, I think this is a newspaper quote, I have a very impressionable three-year-old child. Then don't take him to the fucking screening of a horror movie. But I think they're referring to the commercials that are airing with an axe-wielding Santa Claus. Change the channel. I know. I know. Hey, (laughs) dude, I agree with you. Various groups joined the protests and a New York State assemblyman, uh, he... Assemblyman. Assemblyman. <laughs> assembles a campaign to boycott theaters showing the film. TriStar eventually discontinues TV ads. Many theaters stopped playing the movie, and TriStar canceled the movie's West Coast run entirely. Weirdly, there'd already been a string of movies with killer Santa Clauses. 1972, Tales from the Crypt with Joan Collins, To All a Good Night, You Better Watch Out, which uh, has a horny Santa Claus. Mm, I'll have to check these on out. On top of a violent Santa Claus. They, uh, these were not... I guess these just weren't mainstream enough for anyone to give a fuck. That's why. Wow, man. Yeah. Again, people nowadays aren't like we've all. It's always this, you know. Yeah. It all, people are always gonna get mad over think like shit we think is dumb, and it's fine. Like we're all fine, you know. <laughs> like it's it's just humans are gonna human. I, we have very short memories and don't remember that back in the eighties, people were mad that Santa Claus was in a scary movie. Yeah, 1988, and uh, I, I asked you if this was true because it sounded apocryphal. Halloween Force ending upset a lot of people who weren't happy with the idea of a young girl taking up the now dead Michael Myers's work. Halloween Five is a result of these complaints, <laughs> backtracks, and shows that Michael's not really dead. He just found a hidden passageway and escaped by floating down a river. And Jamie didn't actually kill her stepmother; just hurt her really bad. And also, she definitely didn't inherit Michael's murder streak. But you said this was possibly just a producer. In thing? my research, it was an issue with the producers not uh, wanting to. Con- they wanted to continue Michael Myers as the killer. I. Didn't I don't remember hearing anything about uh, an audience backlash uh, about Jamie wielding the knife at the end of part four. In either case, it gave us the worst movie of the Halloween franchise. I am including all of them Damn. in that assessment. I'm including Resurrection with, featuring Buster Rhymes. That I one hate, is a good one. I hate <laughs> Halloween 5 so fucking much yeah. with Jamie running around, unable to speak. and stu- Even more than the Paul Rudd one? Yes. Wow. I do. Because the Paul Rudd one, uh, the, the subsequent film, Curse of Michael Myers, has characters that are at least likable that you can kind of root for. Not Paul Rudd. He sucks in it. Yeah, but the, yeah. <laughs> the, the woman in it, the main chick, she's fine. That fucking fifth one, man. Yeah. You can't. I hate it. In uh, 1991, Child's Play 3 is said by British tabloids. British tabloids fucked up. They just always fucking shit up. Tabloid culture over there tabloids is very suck. bizarre. I don't know. I don't know. I find it very fascinating. Um, British tabloids say Child's Play 3 uh, inspired the murder of two-year-old James Patrick oh, Bulger, no. which was a big story. By the way, this case is really disturbing. Uh, fuck, even skip ahead like a minute. 
if you don't want to hear anything about it. I'm not going to even go into details because it's it, it's fucking yeah, awful. He was abducted, tortured, and murdered by two 10-year-old boys. Fuck. The murder is like the worst. It's, it's one where when I was researching this, I was like, oh, fuck that one because... I learned about this previously because I I'm really interested in true crime. So I've I've read a lot of true crime. This is one that when I I learned about it, it's one that stuck with me because it's so disturbing. The details of it are so awful. I don't even want to know. We're, I'm not. I I literally at first I was like, oh okay, we can talk about this, but I was like, no, I, like re rereading what happened. No, we're good. I'm just we're just not like. There was a really awful murder that happened. And if you want to learn about it, you can go do it. But it's just, it's awful. Um, there were similarities between the torture and the things that happened in Child's Play 3. What? Um, one The big one was the presence of paint at the crime scene. And there's like the paintball, the paintball stuff. Thing, so that yeah. was it. And I think it was like the same colors. And I don't know. Hmm. And also Child's Play 3 happened to be rented by one of the boy's parents before the murders. But that's like the only link. So it's... In the end, it was just tabloid sensationalism. Fuck. Yeah. Um, so this this last story, I think, is the kind of story that really, it really scares people and it makes people react very viscerally to horror. And I think it's very understandable. I can, that, that case was so fucked up and must have been so terrifying at the time. The fact that these two kids were capable of doing something like that. That I totally understand someone at the grocery store grabbing that tabloid and kind of flipping through and, and seeing those connections to this this tragedy and feeling a little shaken up by the fact that these movies exist and that kids can watch them and maybe and, and being convinced by these these connections. And there's I'm sure at the time and still now it's it's the idea of wanting to make sense of violence and wanting to understand why especially in the case where it's two little kids I think everyone was just trying to make sense of it because it didn't make any sense and so making connections to things like movies I think it's understandable to want to go there because you're you're able to like make some order and sense of what is going on when it's just chaos and seemingly something that's that shouldn't happen ever yeah so i to- i understand like especially parents at that time maybe feeling convinced by that argument that this tabloid's putting out there in the year 2009 year old boy stabbed a neighborhood girl um allegedly i think oh, i'm i typo here but he stabbed her like 20 something times after what watching child's play fuck? two two months later a teen wearing the ghost face mask from scream stabbed both his dad and his stepdad i'm not sure if they survived because this wasn't clarified in the book i was reading it just was kind of a list of these incidents um maybe the most bizarre of them all and i'd heard about this before it's very weird eric red who uh horror director and he wrote the hitcher have you seen the hitcher no i've never even heard That's about the it. one where it's like it's the very famous scene where Lots of requests for the Hitcher on the podcast, by the way. But it's the movie where there's the famous scene of the woman being drawn and quartered by a bunch of trucks. Oh, fuck. You haven't seen that? No. Yeah, it's fucked up. What? Um, so the guy who wrote this, he, in L.A., rear-ended a car at a red light, drove across several lanes of traffic, jumped the curb, and smashed through his storefront window. He killed two people and injured a few more. He asked if anyone was hurt, and then he picked up a piece of glass and slashed at his own throat until he was stopped. Why? And this incident apparently shares many similarities to his 1991 film Body Parts. So I I make this list of things <laughs> that are fucked up and really disturbing um because I I I want to point out that these stories are really 
effective in promoting anxiety over violent films. And again, it's an understandable anxiety, right? I don't think people are are being I don't think people who are afraid of horror films and think they're bad are are bad people. It's people wanting to make sense of the world and try to understand why this kind of shit happens. Um, but ultimately, studies have shown that violent films do not cause an increase in violence. Using horror and movies as a way to explain acts of violence is easier than actually trying to understand why things like this happen. It's a convenient People excuse. want simple answers for yes, everything. Yes, and people yeah. want uh, easy scapegoats, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. I, I, uh, the study I have, like I print out my study from UC Berkeley, and this is 2009. I tried to find a more recent one. Um, let me see. It's a, it's a study titled... <laughs> from 2009, you mean 10 years ago I now? I know. <laughs> if anyone has a good example of a more recent one, I would love to to see. Um, it's titled, Does Movie Violence Increase Violent Crime? What they did was they looked at violence in movies released from 1995 to 2004, and they studied the effect on same-day assaults. It was found that violent crime decreased on days with larger audiences for violent movies. However... A big reason for this is because it decreased on violence. Yes, decreased okay. on there's on days where there's violent films in theaters. Um, but this could be the very simple explanation of violent individuals like violent movies. And so, if they're sitting in a movie theater, they're not out doing crimes. <laughs> <laughs> but their their estimates. It, this is a quote. Our estimates suggest that in the short run, violent movies deter almost one thousand assaults on an average weekend. While our design does not allow us to estimate long run effects, we find no evidence of medium run effects up to three weeks after initial exposure. So that goes beyond the the idea that it's just violent people are in the theater, so they're not out doing stuff. But even a few weeks after, there's still not an increase in crime so there's no evidence to suggest that it like inspires exactly there's no evidence to suggest that people are going out to see a violent movie and then being violent after they don't have a study for super long term unfortunately that's what i would love to see but medium run so few weeks no there's no correlation at all and they basically it's the theory of we were talking about this last night the theory of after school programs where if you have kids doing stuff they're not out you know, I don't know, vandalize and stuff or whatever bad kids do. It's the same idea. If you have movies where people are sitting in them and not out on the streets, you're going to have less crime. So there's really the theories even they could just deter crime, you know, yeah. they're like an outlet. Um Here's another quote. Exposure to violent movies has three main effects on violent crime. One, it reduces significantly violent crime in the evening on the day of exposure. Two, by an even larger percent, it reduces violent crime during the night hours following exposure. Three, it has no significant impact in the days and weeks following the exposure. So, and the paper also says uh, that they discuss banning violent movies and the politics of banning violent movies. And they say that it, it would be ineffective, at least in the short run. Again, they're not sure about long run, but they cool. say conclusively, like legislation banning violent films is not going to make a difference. Our jobs are safe for now. <laughs> for now. <laughs> yeah. And that's that's where I'm at. That's my research. It was very good. Very Thanks. thorough. I wanted to have some more modern movies in here, but. Like we discussed, <sighs> movies haven't been really like um, egregiously violent I don't think lately or Mm-mm. gory they've uh, recently the genre seems to have hit kind of this more of an art house stride. It mm-hmm. feels where even when movies are um, 
deemed to be really extreme, like hereditary has been said to be like super fucking scary, but no one's saying like it's too violent. It's too graphic, I guess. I mean, there are some graphic things in it, but mm-hmm. uh, I don't think it's been too much the subject of any outcries. Yeah, I did see there was an interesting study and this is like kind of unrelated, but I thought it was fascinating that superhero movies Apparently, statistically, the heroes commit more acts of violence than the villains in them. Oh, sure. Which makes sense. Yeah. But it was by, like, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that, I think that's what uh, DC was trying to do with their mm, Superman mm-hmm. and Batman versus Superman angle, but yeah. apparently nobody liked that. I don't know. I never saw those movies. <laughs> no, I did not either. Yeah. Interesting. And it's just a note on people being saying that people are oversensitive nowadays compared to back then. I think people just are sensitive in different amounts to different things throughout Mm -hmm. the different ages. So, uh, yeah, nowadays it feels as though people are more sensitive to, uh, you know, what they would deem insensitive portrayals of, like, race or sexuality or gender or anything like that. Whereas previously in the 80s, it feels as though the um, barometer was more set to things... uh, with family values, mm-hmm. like family values being, um, uh, I can't think of the word. Well, the big, the big thing in the eighties was people were really freaked out and offended by horror movies, violence against women specifically, and that's that's a Siskel and Ebert special mm-hmm. is slashers being particularly violent against women and so that's what the kind of which is yeah and we've discussed this a lot before it's really curious because like with the movies i've covered it's rarely if ever more like women victims but then there's also the case of like how many of those roles are speaking parts versus Mm -hmm. random people being killed also other movies i haven't covered might be more so yeah I, i think i think that the um the uh image of slashers being like killing women is more overblown than the reality of it in my experience in in any case Mm -hmm. but yeah that that perception's definitely there Mm -hmm. and that's what people seem to be up in arms about in the 80s yeah but it just yeah it's just it's not that people now are more sensitive it's yeah like you said our standards for what we deem offensive or upsetting just change Mm -hmm. throughout the years and it feels like people nowadays are less uh, offended by maybe depictions of like Satanism or like uh, religion being shown yeah. in a negative light. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, I, yeah, that's nothing new. People yeah. are always going to be upset at things. And sometimes it's frustrating and sometimes those people seem misguided but i think you have to look at it from their point of view too and try to understand why it is that they're singling out movies and stuff and video games video games and i think music music yeah as much as i'm like god damn it tipper gore and get so angry thinking about that shit I don't know. I think it's worth examining what place that comes from, even if it's so misguided. Yeah. You know. Just have a conversation about it. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Well, you researched your ass off for this episode. (laughs) Next week, we'll give you a little bit of a break and do a simple movie review. Hell yeah. I don't know which one yet, but we'll figure that out after you edit this.
Which, yep. <laughs> yep. I'm going to get right on that. <laughs> uh, yeah. In the meantime, you can follow Dead Meat on social media at Dead Meat James on Twitter and Instagram. There's also the Dead Meat subreddit, r slash Dead Meat James. We're having a fun time there. Lots of fun memes and stuff. <laughs> I'm at Carebeck, C R E V E C C, on Twitter and Instagram. And if you want merch, deadmeatstore.com. We got mugs. By the way, if you, um, I, I just realized, I think I check Twitter more often than my email. So if you have like requests and stuff, Twitter honestly might be a better way to reach oh, yeah? me. Or if you just case? have like sim, if you just have like questions, like pretty simple questions. I don't know. Like Twitter's good too. Yeah, I check Twitter more than anything else. Yeah. Uh, never try to Instagram message me. Oh it yeah, I seen. don't check those at all. Nope. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll be back next week. Till then, I'm James. <laughs> I'm Chelsea. <laughs> this has been the Debbie Podcast. <laughs>